You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Houston, we know these are uncertain and unprecedented times, but we will get through this. We will get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you. Baseball will be back. And we cannot wait to see you. Stay safe, Houston. For the H. It's for the H. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Astropod as we bring you a little entertainment during this time without baseball. I'm Todd Callis, joined by my co-host, Steve Sparks today. Sparky, how you doing? I'm doing great, TK. Thanks uh, for letting me join uh, this conversation. Our guest today uh, is entertaining enough so we can just lay back and listen and laugh, can't we? Our guest is Joe Biagini who, when he introduced himself to Astros fans and Astros personnel at that media press conference, was about as funny as he could possibly be. We heard all about him coming into that, and he didn't disappoint. For you, Sparky, I said as soon as we acquired him, it feels like this is the current version of Steve Sparks. Did you feel like there were some similarities between you guys when you saw him and heard him? Well, when you hear his train of thought, and I'm sure we'll hear that uh, when we talk to him in a little bit, you can just tell that he verbalizes just about anything that comes into his mind. And we know how weird <laughs> that, you know, some people's minds can get at times. So uh, to be comfortable enough uh, to, to verbalize what's, what's popping into his head, I, that certainly reminds me of me if you ask my wife. <laughs> or you ask anybody else in the Astros organization. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the press conference was hilarious for a lot of reasons because it, I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Sanchez is there. Martin Maldonado is there. Sanchez has been with Biagini and he just kind of like, he's seen this act before. And then on the other end of the spectrum was Zach Greinke, who was about as quiet as he could possibly. It was such an interesting dichotomy of different personalities, but yeah. Biagini Biagini definitely is uh, is one of the funnier guys in the game. Well, he's not shy, you know, and he'll. I, I've heard him even talk about it from time to time, where like he, he hope it does he, he hope it doesn't come across as uh, being insincere or even insecure. It's just when he's comfortable, he he just likes to make people laugh because he knows it makes them feel good. So uh, I love that about him. Uh, he's refreshing, and what what a great early impression he made. Uh, coming over to the Astros, being part of that no-hitter. I mean, the, both of them. Aaron Sanchez starts yeah. the game. And then next thing you know, Joe Biagini makes his Astros debut. Sanchez's first outing as an Astro ends up being a no-hitter. That was a crazy night. That was, uh, that was I mean, how can you make a better first impression? You can't, you know. Uh, and that's exactly what you're hoping for. You, you hope to, to go to a team uh, and to be able to relax, you feel like, uh, it's much easier when you're a contributor and when you contribute to s- something that's uh, historical, let alone um, uh, something that's uh, going to help a team win, then uh, I think it makes it even better. And I think I- I've heard Joe even talk about that it was brought up to him and I wouldn't have realized this unless we really uh, kind of dive into it is that the combination no hitters are-, are way more frequent than uh, no hitters thrown by one pitcher. 
Yeah, kind of unusual. Um, but to, with that many pitchers, certainly uh, unique. We saw that with the Astros at Yankee Stadium earlier in their franchise history as well in a game that Roy Oswald had to leave. But anyhow, um, Sparky and I have our notes ready. But as you probably know with Joe Biagini's personality, we'll end up with some sort of meandering conversation. <laughs> One of the funniest people in the history of the major leagues. A lot of pressure on him now for this podcast. Joe Biagini joins us. Joe! First of all, you just celebrated a birthday on Friday. Welcome to your 30s. When you found out on that day that you were going to be on the podcast with myself and Steve Sparks, was that the best birthday present of the day for you? Well, first of all, thank you for that introduction. Um, Jerry Seinfeld says, never introduce a comedian as the sunniest comedian because then (laughs) everybody turns on him. So I appreciate that. Um, Second of all, um, yeah, I, I I was lucky to... Um, get that invitation because I don't know weird weird times in uh, quarantine I um, didn't even realize that it was my birthday I didn't know what day it was as as per usual wow but um, it was nice you know to just kind of see you guys reaching out and just you know I know that you care so much about me personally so um, (laughs) it was just a very sweet um, thing to receive and then you know I just had to start studying you know, I know you guys ask tough <laughs> questions, so, you know, giving me something to do, something to worry about. Yeah, all in all, you know, your presence is a present, as they say. Joe, what's, <laughs> what's the worst gift you could you could possibly get for your birthday? It, probably as a, as a kid, you know, you think about underwear, pajamas, or something like that. Mm. But as a, as a 30-year-old now, what, what's the worst possible gift you could get? An invitation to do a uh, podcast. Mm. <laughs> no, I uh, worst possible get. I don't know hair thinning. Oh yeah, the Rogaine. <laughs> Anything that shows yeah. that you're aging. Once you turn thirty, it's like a milestone, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, it kind of is. And I think um, my uh, my dad actually made like kind of a video compilation thing for me, which was fun. We all watched it together. We're not kind of we're not really a family that's like that. So normally, so it was kind of special, kind of cool to have that and keep that and watch. So that was nice but um yeah i i would say probably like food items i used to love getting like you know candy and like all that stuff uh oh, yeah and now i think it's like it's kind of probably not good to be <laughs> tempted with that all the time so that's probably something like that so happy to have you on this podcast especially with steve sparks because uh prior to oh, you thanks. joining the team yeah prior to you joining the team he was the one that reveled the most in awkward moments on the team by far and now you've kind of superseded him <laughs> so the fact oh, that the you. two of you That's such a sweet compliment thank you yeah yeah thank and, you so, so how did you how did you realize at what point of the day did you realize it was your birthday and i guess the bigger picture than that is what's been going on what's life like in uh for joe biagini in california during this quarantine yeah well i woke up at 4 p.m which is my normal um wake up time i like to get up early and get things done i uh, do some yoga in the street um and uh i talk to the birds um uh, check in on how they're doing i don't know i'm just trying to make some more awkward moments um <laughs> for you guys uh, yeah i i honestly may have missed my birthday if i didn't if nobody had been around but luckily i'm home uh, with the family it's kind of just the most uh, logical place to shelter during this time my mom can 
make me my oatmeal and um, wash my clothes for me, which she definitely doesn't maybe do sometimes. And uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot of golf, been throwing and working out and such. And uh, it's been nice to um, hang out with a few, you know, people that I'm obviously with in person. It's unfortunate that, you know, you can't see more people and stuff because everybody's, you know, obviously trying to distance themselves. But uh, I'm kind of used to it because you know, the social distancing thing happen, seems to happen with me from other people. I don't know. They, maybe they're preparing for this moment. People seem to keep their distance <laughs> from me. You're a natural. Yeah, maybe it's the weekly shower uh, routine that I'm on. There you but, go. I don't know. Waiting for some semblance of a purpose uh, with baseball, which would be nice. Yeah, I'm just practicing my uh, weird answers in interviews. That's the tough part. I mean, trying to stay ready for you don't know when, but uh, with fewer games proposed, uh, does that change your mindset as a relief pitcher at all? I mean, yeah, it's, I haven't really like dove that we're dove into the uh, the specific mindset I'm going to take on the season yet, just because I, you know, we don't know what it's going right. to be. But I imagine that, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a, a kind of a different strategy for every team. You know, the kind of the similar position with a certain amount of games you know, workloads and the kind of the rotation of uh, relievers as well as obviously starters. And just but it takes that and, marathon mindset out, doesn't it? it? It kind of, yeah, I mean, it's funny. A lot of people have talked about shortening the season a little bit, not this drastically. And it would be interesting to see, you know, just as, as a more extreme, as an experiment, to see how people feel about a season of an even shorter length. Uh, because, yeah, it's going to feel like a, long spring training or something like it's just going to feel like it came and went I'm, i can imagine i don't know i kind of think of like college football where it's like every game is like huge you know where it's like you, you lose one yeah. game and you're out of the running for whatever you know or any sort of season in the past where baseball was fewer games and you just have like every one of them counts as they do in normal seasons but just the sense of urgency now is like hey we don't really have time to kind of find our groove and get on a run like you know start playing well when everybody's kind of clicking it's like we've got to stay healthy and we've got to just like get the job done now which is interesting and a different way to think about baseball and it really you know a lot of times it's like hey it's just a marathon and you know your first couple outings don't go well don't so we'll worry just stick with it you know now it's like you know we've got to get this going so i think that would be interesting and kind of exciting in that this is already the hand that we're dealt we have to deal with it so let's find some kind of good things that we can take from this you know current situation that we're in it would be fun to be pitching in games that are all meaningful even more so than they already are because of just how few there they are so i think i said the same thing like three different ways but Hopefully you get the idea. Oh, it's good. We've got a long time on this podcast, so that works out well. Hey, Joe Biagini, our guest on this podcast, AstroPod. Uh, Joe, you mentioned some street yoga, which is probably a little easier now that traffic's not as bad in California. Any other hobbies during this uh, time that you have developed, or are you binging any Netflix? You watching any Korean baseball? Other than golf, what's taking up your day? Um, let's see. I like weeding. So like. Uh, you know, you walk through a neighborhood and you see a weed and you can, <laughs> you know, pick it and help people out. Um, so random weeding. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and you just use your best uh, judgment and uh, to discern if that's actually a weed or if it's 
something that they wanted there and you just don't stay around long enough to find out. No, I, I, what do I do? Well, yeah, so it's been a lot of golf. Um, I'm actually uh, having an appointment to go in and get fitted for clubs. I, I got it a few years, did that a few years ago, but I kind of was a little cheap with it and didn't fully, fully customize. So I'm excited about that. And uh, the place is open and they're able to kind of reopen with all the safety protocols and all that stuff. So that's cool. Uh, Handicap getting lower? I'm working on it. I, I did. Okay. I don't like to, you know, talk about myself a lot, but I will say I can't resist. I did break 80 for the first time in my life the other day. Nice. Um, I will, as a disclaimer, say it was a pretty easy course, but a course that I've shot over 90 on before. So not necessarily for me. Also, I just played yesterday and shot over 90, but rounds before that i was in the 80s consistently which is a lot better than i used to be so i'm excited about that nice did you have to make a putt for 79 or anything or was it did you clear it by luckily luckily i didn't because i don't know how that would have gone Um, (laughs) my golfing nerves are not as good as well i don't know who knows they're how comparable they are to my baseball nerves but it was definitely the greatest sports accomplishment i've ever been a part of so um (laughs) including the no hitter oh yeah yeah you know i mean no that's way that's way more no obviously that's small but um i've enjoyed that um i had we had a um bob ross painting night um where we followed a bob ross tutorial and actually it was funny some one of my friends like saw something on twitter where somebody i think it was like an old it was a blue jays fan or somebody said i wonder what Joe Biagini's doing right now. And then somebody else said, he's probably, you know, doing a Bob Ross painting. And we actually did one. No so kidding. Then we, like, sent a, they sent a picture back to them. It's kind of funny. Maybe you guys can find it on the internet. I don't know. But it's kind of funny. Uh, try to go swimming wherever it's legal. It's been getting a little bit hot around here. Yeah, just uh, working on cooking food. I am actually built a, with marginal success, a um, like a garden uh, garden box to plant some stuff uh, uh-huh. because obviously now we have enough time to watch plants grow. So <laughs> um, I did that. Sounds like you're being a model citizen. Hey, I've always, I've always oh, wondered. And I, I, I've had some friends that played for Toronto, but for, what was your experience like? Because it seems like the people in Toronto, the organization, do a good job of trying to keep everybody happy about the experience playing in Canada. It was that way for you too, wasn't it? I I liked it. You know, it was odd with the, the having to cross the border all the time. It was just kind of an interesting thing. It just felt like a weird experience, one that you know you don't really think about when you think I'm going to try to play in the major leagues. You obviously think of it as America because almost all the teams are there. But um, right. so that's kind of, a, it was kind of just interesting because I think in a way it was kind of felt a little bit like special, like, you know, we're the one team in Canada and we get to represent a whole country and it's kind of like Canada versus everybody else. And they have those shirts and stuff like that. But, but I did enjoy it. Um, I really liked uh, the city of Toronto. Um, the, the I got there at a good time. They were coming off of their first playoff run, and then I was part of the second one. And the the city's nice, and um, it was fun to play in the American League East. You know, play those, those Yankees teams and those Red Sox. And so I I think they really did try to make baseball into a big event, um, which I appreciated. I didn't know how different it would be. Coming back, you know, once I got traded um, to the U.S., 
but I was lucky to, to join a team that was already making baseball a big event just by how good they were doing and you know and all the stuff that happened the previous couple of years with the world series and the hurricane and so i've been lucky to play so far in places that i've really just made baseball a kind of a priority and you know people just show appreciation for it it's pretty cool you know to just dream about getting to the big leagues and kind of have these expectations have a lot of those expectations actually uh, be fulfilled i'm excited to try get back to an actual season to kind of be a more positive contributor to this organization. And um, I'm actually in a weird way, not glad that this quarantine and the, the whole thing with the pandemic has happened is, you know, almost everyone else in the world a lot more and a lot worse than it has me. And I'm very lucky. Uh, and I thank God for that, um, that I'm in that position. But I, I do also kind of have not been like glad that this has happened, but I've been using trying to use this time to really settle in with the adjustments that they had for me uh, when joining the Astros and I've been in contact with Strami and all the the guys the front office guys the pitching people and just to to continue to get uh, time to work on this and and it's something interesting I uh, was talking actually to my dad the other day about how it's so rare to get a chance at this point in your career to be able to throw and to be able to throw hard and kind of keep your arm ready and, and all that, but not be just kind of preparing for a season to where you can make little adjustments and tinker with things and see how things work and, and um, you know, look at a video and look at all that stuff. And it's a, kind of a rare opportunity. So um, obviously, I wish that this wasn't the scenario that the, the world was in, but because it is getting the chance to take advantage of that time, I think it's something that is important for me to be able to kind of put in place the um, adjustments that they wanted to see from me when I got here. So. Your dad is a minor leaguer uh, in the Giants organization, which is the team that originally drafted you in the 2011 draft. A real five pick with the Blue Jays before you trade to Houston. Got a two-parter for you, Joe. So you said you had to make some adjustments oh. when he came over to Houston. What were those adjustments you had to make? And is that difficult to do in season? I guess it's a three-parter. So what were the adjustments? Uh -oh. Is it difficult to do in season? And when you're traded for a player, do you follow what Derek Fisher does in Toronto? Like when you're looking at the box scores the rest of the season? Hmm, okay, let me finish writing those down. Um, <laughs> so, so the adjustments, I really appreciated Strom and uh, the pitching department and the front office philosophy and uh, um, everything coming over to Houston. Obviously knowing... Um, you know, kind of what they stood for and their track record was helpful um, and, uh, you know, kind of looked at that in a positive way. I really appreciated the fact that everybody was so willing to let me, you know, make adjustments and try things. And, you know, honestly, like I was having a pretty a decent year in Toronto, but I felt like I was I could be better. I could be doing better, throwing a little harder, taking advantage of things a little more. And, um, you know, and, and and the Blue Jays were doing a good job of trying to um, kind of kickstart their whole analytics department or at least make it, um, bring it up to the, the level. And I think they're going to get there because they're doing a good job with that. Um, but Houston had obviously had a head start on this. And so it was um, a good reputation to kind of come into. And But I was surprised that I, they were so supportive of me making adjustments and working on stuff and, you know, and getting thrown into the mix. And obviously I'm not happy with um, how it went 
um, especially near the end of the season. Um, but I was encouraged by the opportunity to make those adjustments. Um, for example, um, experimenting with the four seam, which I had really very rarely thrown in my whole life before this last year. Um, a couple uh, mechanical adjustments that I was given the okay to, to you know kind of try to put into the um, to the game and you know obviously those things are difficult to do mid-season just as it's difficult to keep good mechanics during the season you know just as it's, I, I had transitioned back and forth from starter and reliever the last couple of years that's hard it's also hard to be a starter the whole time it's also hard to be a reliever the whole time and be consistent so it's all hard um, and it just kind of comes out in different ways. Um, and so I've really been working on some of the mechanical adjustments that were introduced um, at the end of last year. And I'm, I'm really uh, grateful that the team has given me an opportunity to figure that out. And uh, because, you know, I think we both believe that there's something in there that can be really good. And, um, and then Partois, as they say in Canada, was um, what was the when you follow Derek Fisher and what he's doing with the oh, Jays. That's right. So <laughs> it's funny. I I don't I mean to like <laughs> bring this up or something. I don't know if it's a sore subject. I can imagine. I remember somebody sent me something. I guess he had like dropped a fly ball or something like that in a game, and they tweeted like we traded Sanchez and DG for that you know and it was kind of funny like oh man obviously they see the talent that he has and like you know i don't follow like exactly the fan reactions like super closely but it sounds like they were pretty impressed uh, with him in the short time that they saw him but yeah I, I don't know i kind of it's kind of one of those things where i don't know i think it's good for everybody if like everybody does well you know that after the trade like both teams are happy and everybody kind of remembers you fondly i know those are not like the most important things that are going on like <clears throat> obviously winning and being a, an effective piece of the team is the most important job for you as a player and also saying like weird jokes and stuff to lighten the mood as i do but <laughs> you have this curiosity that you know you can't help but kind of like you know i try i don't pay too closely uh, of attention i don't like to get too deep into that like oh what's going on exactly but i do like to hear every once in a while when somebody's talking about it or brings it up or i just happen upon it to just see you know how things are going because you know honestly like when we're not playing them i kind of root for uh toronto a little bit because i know a lot of people over there and there's a lot of good people there i kind of root for the giants i've always kind of rooted for them um as long as they're not you know at least is the politically correct answer as long as they're not uh you know in the race against our team obviously but you know and then it's like if i spend some more time here and then you know end up playing somewhere else i'll probably have a little crush on houston as well joe not enough people know your story uh with the jimmy fallon show can you take us uh from uh, from the yeah. beginning to the the end of that story because it's it's phenomenal pretty incredible um so apparently he's this up-and-coming um small town uh, <laughs> yep. uh, entertainment guy. Bingo. Um, New Amsterdam, I believe it, it used <laughs> to be called. So, yeah, so I ended up, so I've always had kind of an interest in um, show business and, uh, you know, television, media production, film, um, more of the production side. I remember my parents making me be uh, 
uh, or to go do a play in uh, elementary school. I had to be the policeman in the play Annie. Um, I had a crush on the girl that played Annie, so that was all bad. But I liked—I got to hold a, a toy gun, so that was kind of sealed the deal for me. But I always remember wanting to be kind of behind the scenes, doing the, the curtains or the lighting or something like that, um, being a part of the production, but not like the center stage, whatever. Anyway, um, so I always had this fascination for uh, these types of shows. I like the late night shows. I used to watch the old Dean Martin roasts and Don Rickles and all those Bob <laughs> Hope and all those people. And, uh, you know, I like the current stuff as well. Um, but so I wanted to go to one of these shows and I finally got the opportunity to go. And, um, I remember we, we went there and we stood in line and we, you know, we had our tickets or whatever, and they would come around. Like we, there was this big waiting room. They'd come around and they'd look at everybody and they'd like give you a, a number or something. And that was kind of where you were sitting. We were young, younger, so they they put the younger people down the front. I guess they're more enthusiastic or whatever. Um, they're not, you know, boring old people, just obviously. But um, <laughs> and uh, they, so I was, I remember sitting right on the, I was sitting right on the aisle, and um, and it was the end of the show where he does the high fives and everything, and I. I was, you know, playing it cool and all that stuff. I wasn't going to be super enthusiastic. Um, you know, a couple of jokes fell flat during the show. I was like, okay, I'll give you a high five, but not, you know, I'm not going to go crazy, whatever. Um, and uh, and so I remember him walking up the, the stairs, and I kind of just had my hand out ready. Uh, I had it sanitized. I had it, you know, I knew this, you know, even before all this happened. Um, and he kind of like, like, you know, he missed my hand. I guess he kind of tipped the finger at the top or whatever, just to be yeah, specific, just... you know, for historical records. And, uh, <laughs> it's like the Ryder cup. And I, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of, uh, I've been watching those videos actually. And it's, it was kind of like awkward because he kind of missed it. And so I just did my, whatever came naturally to me, which is an awkward, just kind of reaction to that. And then I remember <laughs> noticing the camera, following him up you know the state the stairs and and the you know the little red light was on whatever and i was like that's funny i like i i kind of thought about what happened you know very subtle thing but i was like i wonder if anybody ever like would ever notice that you know something right. like that and then sure enough like a week later like somebody the pr guy from the blue jays texted me he was like i heard you went to the tonight show and i was like i didn't tell anybody that i did that like but you no know, fans, no fans reached out to you social media wise. Well, not to me personally. Um, okay. I also don't have like Twitter or Instagram or whatever because I'm yeah. too cool for that. So, um, <laughs> or maybe it's the other way around, but I, um, <laughs> but, but sure enough, how he found out was that some, some girl, Blue Jays fan, um, send a message, I don't know how it was, you know, whatever, it reached out to... Maybe it was the girl who played Annie. Maybe it was, oh my gosh. Oh, don't get, don't get my hopes up. <laughs> um, she reached out to a couple teammates, and I think it was Donaldson or somebody was like, you know, responding like, yeah, that's him, you know. So then this, the, the PR guy told me like, the 
is Tonight Show wants you to come back on the show because of this whole thing. And I didn't believe him for like the first 10 times he told me. He finally called me and said, <laughs> listen, they want you to go on the show. Here's their number. Call them. They blah, 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 whatever. And so I called them. They're like, hey, we want to do a skit on Bad High Fives. When can you come? Can you come tonight? And I was like, oh, my God. Like I was driving back from like D.C. or something. And I was like, how about Friday? Because they had a couple of friends coming into town and they can come with me or whatever. And so they're like, we're going to do a skit. And here's your script. And And so... <laughs> Originally, we had to do this um, like weird dance thing, and uh, and it was called Kid and Play or something like that. You could look it up, but and I was so nervous about it. I practiced for like two hours in the apartment the night before, and then when I got there, they're like, "Oh yeah, we cut the dance," and I was like, "Oh, well, I'm glad, but I'm also wasted two hours practicing a simple dance." But anyway. It was cool. They sent a, you know, big black like Escalade, picked us up, dropped us off. You know, we had the green room. We went up there. I, I went to makeup because obviously there's a lot of work to be done in, in the facial area for television. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we I got to uh, rehearse in old Conan O'Brien's old uh, Tonight Show studio. And, you know, the whole experience. Got to meet uh, Jimmy Fallon backstage. And it was funny. I have like... I think somebody, one of my friends has an awkward um, handshake uh, video with him, uh, which is kind of funny. But uh, yeah, it was a really surreal experience for me, obviously, like making it to the big leagues is one thing. And then this was like, I just never thought that this would happen, obviously. And um, yeah, I just went with it. You know, I just like, I can't believe this is happening, but I'm just going to keep doing it because, you know, I'm just, that I don't know, nothing better to do. So I remember going backstage and there was this really intense stage manager and he was like, uh, okay. He was like counting down the jokes, you know, that, that had, that they had left and it was in the monologue or whatever. He's like, three more jokes and then you. And then <laughs> I was kind of nervous and I was like, I need to like. Yeah. Did your heart start beating? Up. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I needed like, I don't know, get some. So I was like, I thought I'm just going to kind of joke with them or whatever. So I said, I started backing up and I was like, Hey, uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't feel so good. I, I got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, oh, I'm just kidding. And he's like, you can't do that to me. Okay. You're on. So, so then I just go out there and do our thing. And it was, yeah, it was just weird. I don't know. I was, I was nervous. I was like, I'm, I going to start sweating. You're like, my pants going to fall off. Like, am I going to throw up? Like, nah. you know, I didn't think about how, um, you know, like, many people were going to see this until like right before. But um, I don't know about you guys, if you've ever been on the tonight show, but when, <laughs> yeah, my uh, pants fell you off. Go in, when, you, when you go in there, it's actually a quite a small studio and they keep it really cold so that the lights don't you know make people sweat and stuff like that. So it's, it was nice to kind of feel the like intimate environment. I'm sure there's a bunch of guys, Verlander and guys have been on this show tons of times. So, this isn't that exciting, but it was for me. Okay. Yeah, it was a it was a really crazy experience, and it was kind of fun to just like watch it later that night, and then like have the video of it. And I stayed kind of connected with one of the writers. It was kind of funny, uh, just to you know, uh, he's a Red Sox fan. But it was funny. Everybody was like talking about baseball, and they're like, "Oh, baseball, baseball player." And I'm like, obviously thinking that's not a big deal. And then I was all excited about the the showbiz side, and they thought that that wasn't a big deal. So it was just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool experience. Like obviously one that I'm just going to remember forever and just be like, I 
can't believe it, but I actually went on that show. You know, it was kind of interesting. But I, you know, it, and and the, the final thing I'll say is that the only other experience that has kind of even come close to that is is this podcast experience. Which is kind of <laughs> one of those same really experiences where I'm going to be like, I can't believe I had to do that. What a waste of time! You almost backed I, out of this one too. I did. I tried to. You know, it was, like, it was a five five hour round yesterday. So. Well, I, I feel I feel bad now that I, I started out this podcast interview with, you know, one of the funniest people in baseball, because that does put you in, into a pressure situation when you come over to a new team. Mm. Like everybody knew you in Toronto three and a half years. Are you, there. are you saying are you saying that I haven't been very funny? No, you have been actually not many major leaguers make me laugh out loud other than the courtesy laugh out loud occasionally. But, mm. yeah, you actually make me laugh out loud. So that's a good that's thing. Good. But, but yeah, yeah, when you come up with uh, insecurities. Sorry, go ahead. But when you come to a new team, like part of your shtick, part of your delivery is that you're a deadpan. Not not quite Stephen Wright, but that kind of yeah. same thing where you kind of let the, the awkwardness sit. When you come to a new team, are you like, because people are so quick to say, oh, I'm just kidding. But you don't. Like that's part of the beauty <laughs> of your humor. So when you come to a new team, are there a lot of moments where you just want to be like, you guys know, like I'm not for real. <laughs> like this is all fun, right? Well, <laughs> I appreciate you saying it's part of the beauty instead of part of the like annoyingness of it. But um, that was a courtesy yeah, laugh out you know, loud. Yeah, thank you. Hey, courtesy or not, I'll take it. No, I um, yeah, honestly, like my um, you know, maturation process is is one that has tried to kind of find the 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 middle ground, the the you know, the good a good mix uh, between. Um, you know, what's too much and, and what's okay and stuff like that. And I'm still learning that, you know, as we learn, as we grow and, we, you know, grow up and just, you know, I like, I'm sure I've probably, you know, annoyed teammates over the years. Um, and I, and I, you know, I'm getting a little bit not funny and kind of real, you know, where it's like, I, I don't want to, you know, be doing this out of like, oh, I have to keep up some sort of reputation. Like, it's just a natural thing that's fun, and uh, I try to, you know, make people laugh and brighten people's days or whatever the cliche is. But, you know, if, like, I don't know, I also have to be aware of, like, hey, you know, there's time and place to do it, and you want to be a good teammate first and foremost. And um, and so as long as it's kind of read or, or presented in that way, I think it's okay. And so, you know, you, you always strive to just try to be a good person first. And, um, you know, I try to be an example of, Jesus and you know just try to do that well but then you know in my own way and how I was created and how I am I like to you know just say unique things and hopefully people appreciate them um and so you know when it's it's fun to go uh to a new team for example because you get to like introduce your personality to all, all these people and uh just see where it sticks and where it doesn't you know and like see who thinks it's funny and see who thinks it's weird and all this stuff and then you kind of stop bothering those people and then you keep going with the other people or whatever but uh it's it's one of those things where i you know i don't know my philosophy is as long as i'm not being too annoying and, not, and you know not bothering people i like to you know just kind of be myself and say, you know, I don't have to like say, oh, just kidding, just kidding, I'm joking. You know, I used to say that a lot and I try not to as much anymore just because it's like, hey, they're going to learn eventually like what you're really about. And, uh, you know, like 
you know, they will over time. You don't have to like be careful and afraid that they're going to think you're weird or something because like, hey, maybe they do and that's okay. <laughs> as long as yeah. you're, again, not being annoying. So I like, I like, it's fun to, you know, just, I don't know. There's this thing about when people introduce you to, you know, are introduced to each other, they kind of take this like stance of like, you know, I want to be really polite. I want to be really appropriate. I'm, you know, and I think that's good. And there's, that's probably better. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's it's more fun to just be myself completely from the beginning. And then people realize, oh, that's just him, you know, and he's just being comfortable with me right away. And I almost feel like a lot of times, and maybe this doesn't work all the time, and I'm sorry for those people that it doesn't, but I feel like a lot of times it, it makes people more comfortable because it's like, hey, he's just kind of relaxed and being himself. He's not, you know, doing all these, you know, kind of, um, you know, all the formal stuff or whatever. And so um, it's fun to, you know, have those. We had a funny, I don't know, moment in the elevator. I think it was Branley and Verlander and Cranky, I think, last year. So a few guys that you know, maybe you don't want to rub the wrong way, but um, where I was saying some weird stuff and they're just kind of laughing and they're like, oh, you know, you could see that they started to get it, you know, and and it's fun to just not be nervous about in those scenarios and just be like, I'm just going to be myself and people can take it or leave it. And as long as I'm not being annoying, I, I think it's fun, you know, it just kind of brings a different aspect to it. And um, I feel like most of the time, hopefully people enjoy it. So, um, yeah, you know, and again, I don't want to, you know, let my insecurities take over and have to do it all the time and stuff like that. It's just, you know, if it comes natural and nobody's like telling you, hey, this bothers me or something, then I think it's all right. Hey, I don't know if I got a chance to ask you, Joe, last year. This is the last one for me, but it was about a month after you got traded to the Astros that you guys made a road trip back to Toronto. And I know for that mm -hmm. first time when you go back, it's a little bit emotional. Did you find that to be true? Don't you wish you could go back? That's a quote from uh, Uncle Rico. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it was um, it was fun uh, to go. Um, uh, I have this um, fan of mine, not mine, named uh, Victoria, who gave me a scrapbook of a bunch of people in her section and just people from all over the place, uh, memories and things, and all the signs that she made for me and the rest of the bullpen. Um, which was uh, uh, interesting and um, very nice of her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, just going into the stadium and just, you know, kind of the security guard, like going, oh my gosh, it's you, you know, kind of thing. And just like different things like that. Um, and yeah, talking to the coaches and, you know, I, I don't know if I should say this, but I snuck into the Toronto clubhouse and just kind of showed up like I, was pretending to just still be on the team. And I just like went to my <laughs> old locker and just sat down and everybody's like, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> just kind of, I walked into the, uh, the, 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 the coach's meeting room and I was like, so what are the, what's the scouting report for today? And, and they just kind of like, they, it's funny because they first just like started to answer it because they were used to it. And they were like, Oh, so actually, and then they're like, wait a minute. You know, so it was kind of funny. It was definitely fun. And I was excited to go back there um and just see all the people that have you know supported me and then grown close to over the years and then also like be like hey look at me i'm on the astros so <laughs> you know so that's kind of cool too well joe we appreciate the time i think this was your first interview in your 30s so we feel honored to be a part of that mm. 
That's true, I think, although... First interview uh, as a person who shot under 80 as well. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm, that would should be the tagline. I would like that to lead off the... Uh, it's catchy. The interview, set the mood. But um, my parents <laughs> did um, interview me about why I was singing so loudly in the shower the other day. So that was after <laughs> I was turned 30, but... And that was in the shower. Yeah, this is the first official interview, second interview where I've been in the shower the whole time, but first <laughs> official interview. So, But thank you. I appreciate your appreciation, and uh, thanks for having me, and I hope uh, you can use at least a small percentage of all that. Yeah, editing's a beautiful thing, but we appreciate your time. Another sub-80 round would be awesome, but more importantly, we can't wait to see you out in the pitcher's mound with the Astros. So uh, take it easy, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Well, Sparky, there we go. Joe Biagini. Uh, I gave him some pressure saying he was one of the funniest men in the history of Major League Baseball before we started, right. but uh, he came through as usual. He's a weird dude, isn't he? <laughs> he is. I think he's entertaining himself by just being weird. I think he like he kind of revels in the awkwardness. I agree. It's, a, it's like a game for him, but he's also so sharp, right? So he's so funny. He is. You know, I... I kind of harken back to that, and I didn't ask him, but I had about a 20-minute conversation with Joe during spring training this year, and he was almost just kind of venting and hash, hashing out uh, some of the things that he learned when he came over to the Astros from the Blue Jays at the trade deadline and how he was trying to put those into practice. And I'm glad you asked about that, how hard that is to do in competition, trying to make adjustments uh, and get big league hitters out at the same time is nearly impossible. It's Basically, the secret to sports is not to think about mechanics, you know, and, and to be able to, to find the, the right time and place to work on mechanics and see if it uh, filters into the game when you go out there and try not to think about anything and just let your athletic ability take over. But uh, he certainly feels like he's found that happy medium of taking what the Astros uh, personnel told him that they feel like w would make him a better pitcher. And I think he's excited about it. Yeah, and it's kind of a... a Fairly significant year for him, too, not just because he turned 30 years old, because you didn't start your big league career till into your 30s, but because, you know, he's up with a new organization. It went well at times, certainly the first yeah. outing with the Astros, but it also uh, he had his share of struggles last year. So now uh, it's a chance for him in his second season, his first full season with the Astros to really implement everything and, and get uh, everything back in a good way because he was successful, especially as a reliever with the Blue Jays. Yeah, and we saw him on occasion. You saw him when you were working with the Rays, and, and I certainly saw him on a couple of occasions, even made a spot start against the Astros mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. Man, you saw flashes of somebody who could really dominate at the major league level. So I, I feel like you know, him never throwing a, a four-seam fastball until he came over to the Astros is, is really telling on, on uh, what hasn't been unlocked yet because I think that's the way the game's going. Everybody with an uppercut swing – it, it's tailor-made for somebody who throws that two-seamer with the ball sinking into the, the swing path of, of that uppercut. Uh, I think it's just going to help Joe uh, become a, a really uh, upper echelon type of pitcher, whether it's as, as a starter at some point maybe uh, in his career or as a reliever. So uh, I think he's excited. I think we're, uh, we're excited to, you know, once the season gets going, to see what he can do to contribute. I think I saw something in an article, and as funny as he is and as sharp as he is and as quirky as he is, he thinks a lot. And I think he has said some of the issues he's had when he has been struggling is to overthink, 
mm. or overanalyzed. And I, I do feel you guys share some personality. Uh, it, it, you guys are very funny, kind of in a, in a different way. Do you feel like you learned the mental side of the game more as you got through things? And was there any point in your career where you did overanalyze or overthink? I think maybe early on, especially as I converted into a knuckleball pitcher, I probably thought too much into it. And I'll give you an illustration of, of Joe Biagini and probably what's going on in, in his brain uh, during the course of a lot of games uh, when he came over to the Astros. We have monitors of, of the bullpen uh, in our booth just to see who's warming up so we can ha get a heads up on, on a pitching change or what have you. Man, he would he would be without a baseball going through his mechanics sometimes for two or three innings in a row, like the third mm -hmm. through the sixth inning. Nobody else is warming up. You see Joe just going through his mechanics over and over and over. So uh, there's a perfectionist side to him. That, that, that there's no doubt about that. And uh, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. When whenever you're pitching at this level, uh, but you got to be really positive and. and uh, very simplistic sometimes to, to succeed at this level. So maybe that's something that he learns in his 30s. There you go. That's pretty good insight. I, I know that he says he's been doing a lot of that. Uh, sometimes he even does it in the clubhouse where he'll work on his mechanics and, and shadow pitch a little bit. But Sparky, as always, uh, we knew that would be a fun show with you and Joe Biagini uh, alongside. That was a good time. So uh, we'll, we'll hopefully do this one again and hopefully have some baseball soon, buddy. Yeah, looking forward to it, Todd. Thanks, bud. That's another edition of Astro Todd. We'll see you soon. See you later. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.